free marketing to all the vendors who list with her this month. Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter. No my hi don't I Kiaura. Welcome to our Books and Beyond Steinbeck special. This is your host Alison and I have a special guest in the studio with me today, Dan Fitzpatrick. Now Dan is a teacher of English in a large and super diverse secondary school in Auckland. Kia ora Dan. Kia ora Alison, thank you so much for having me. It's so good to have you back in the studio today. It's, so, it's so good to be back. I had such an amazing time uh, last time I came to speak to you. Uh, honestly I love talking about poetry of colonialism and that that session was not long enough. It was not yes. long enough, so I couldn't wait to come back. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> that's what we like to hear. And so today's show is going to be all about the 20th century author John Steinbeck, who was born in California in 1902. Gee, that's a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, and interesting, and I found this really sad. It's a sad fact about Steinbeck that he died um, when he was 66 mm. during the um, major flu pandemic mm. of mm. 1968. Yeah. So some of our, our listeners will remember that pretty pretty major mm. event. Mm. So we're going to talk about his writing today and we're going to try and get to the bottom of why his books are still so popular with today's readers, including or particularly, I should say, young people. And this is why I thought of you, Dan, because I thought you'd be perfect for this because you teach teenagers mm. and also the fact that you have the great benefit of, of still being a young man yourself. Um, I'm very envious of your your youth <laughs> <laughs> with that. And also I have a feeling that you're a fan of, of Steinbeck's writing as well. I have really become a fan of Steinbeck's writing and I'm looking forward to divulging on this a bit more. Uh, but what I found is that the young people who really give Steinbeck a chance actually love it. Just just mm. love his language and love his writing. Very recently, I only became a fan of his work. And so I, I, I was just honestly fascinated by my own response to his work. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, good. No, this is, this is going to be great. So we're going to focus today mainly on the classic John Steinbeck novel, East of Eden, mm. um, which was published in 1952. Um, so setting the scene, I guess we're setting the scene for what we're going to talk about today. Mm. But Steinbeck was someone that I feel always sets the scene really well at the beginning of his books. He gives you lots of geographical and landscape details and you really get the mood of the setting and like the change of seasons mm, and stuff, mm. don't you? And that real sense of place. Yeah. Um, and his sentences are really short, concise. Yeah, um, yeah. And I really love the way he describes the way of life of his characters, their, their working lives particularly and their their survival mechanisms mm. and I, I'm just wondering if if you'd agree with me if it's these aspects that give his writing such universal appeal I completely agree the 
And, and I'm so glad that you brought up the short, concise language that he mm. uses. It's so beautiful, but it's also so accessible as well. He, one, sometimes when I'm reading a novel, I kind of personally get turned off by uh, the, the inherent mystery that's going along. Uh, I'm reading sentences and there's kind of this undercurrent of assumption that the author thinks, okay, this person's going to catch up with me. They, they're going to infer and fill the dots with what I'm talking about or the mystery's going to reveal itself later on. Uh, how are we going to get there? And it's just, sometimes it's hard to understand, but Steinbeck always very clearly, very clearly explains uh, what is someone's motivation in this moment? How are they feeling? What's the session going on around it as well? You're never in the dark. Yeah. And I really, really love that. And sometimes for maybe a young student or a younger person who also feel similar frustrations when they're reading, they like to be it, it's not like Steinbeck's holding your hand or anything. No. They, they like to have this uh, very clear demonstration of what he wants you to be reading. Yeah. yeah. And because it's not easy uh, to write really short, concise sentences. It really is it's not. quite it's, a skill. It, it's, a, it's an amazing skill and he's a master of it. Um, it's so easy to kind of waffle and, t- and, yeah. and let yourself get carried away. But um, Steinbeck is very reserved in his writing. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I'm glad that you noticed that and that sort of understatement mm. um, of his writing. Now, before we go too far, I really want to address what we could call the elephant in the mm, room, mm. and that's um, what we see in the, the books, um, the casual racism and the racial stereotyping um, that he, he demonstrates. But um, from what I know about the writer himself, he absolutely hated racism mm. and he he hated the way Native Americans and African Americans and the immigrant workers were, were treated in America and yet his characters are quite racist, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they can be, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I notice and is always jar- in reading in 2020 when I was reading mm. East of Eden and reading now 2021, we have very luckily such a benefit of uh, hindsight and so much more knowledge mm. on how problematic being casually racist can be. I do want to assume that Steinbeck just didn't have the same knowledge. He very unlikely would have when, when he was writing. But sometimes when these racial slurs that he uses somewhat casually come up, it is always jarring. It's always jarring to have that. As, as we know about Steinbeck himself, he hated racism. Mm. And because of that, we can maybe infer that his his intention was never to be racist in his writing. As a matter of fact, some of his most intelligent characters in this book, for example, uh, Lee, Lee. he's the most intelligent character in the book and he's not formally educated. And that's one thing that I love about Steinbeck is his characters are intelligent from experiencing the world yeah, and loving reading right. and not so much from going to university and getting a formal education. Um, Lee oftentimes has these moments where he's smarter, he recognises that he's, he's smarter, smarter than everybody yeah. in the room, but he, he doesn't need to prove that. Yeah, and um, 
the character Lee really touched my heart Um, and I hated the way he was treated like the sheriff was just so awful and so racist absolutely I don't know how he could stand that Um, and he was really trapped by the racial expectations of the time he um, used it as a defence mechanism to try and play up the, the racial stereotypes and when you're first introduced to Lee you kind of you, you, you're almost shocked because you're like, how how could how dare Steinbeck write a character yeah, like this? Yeah, but then he explains himself. He explains himself to uh, Sam Hamilton, who's the other most intelligent mm. character in the in the story. S- Sam Hamilton, oh, it was an Irish immigrant who yes. uh, Steinbeck would have known had not not by any level similar, but an aspect of comparable level of discrimination. Yes, because he was treated as being the stereotype, um, the simple Irishman, wasn't he? Yes, he he was. And in fact, he was an inventor and, you know, he was an amazing man, wasn't he? Loved learning, loved his family. um, And I I, I believe to an extent, because the Hamiltons was his, was Steinbeck's maternal family. Yes, that's right. must Must be... based on his own family and yeah. his own experiences. Yeah. And so I'm kind of wondering as a teacher in 2021, when you, um, if, if your students are reading stuff that, you know, with so much casual racism mm. in it, wondering how you teach that. Do you, do you say to your students, look, Steinbeck was a product of his time. He was trying to show us that racism is wrong or... It's... um. It's such a difficult negotiation. I very easily could recognise a young Asian New Zealand student who I'm teaching be quite triggered by some of this casual racism that's used against this this character Lee. It's not... It's not enough for me to be like, oh, well, Steinbeck was a, was a product of his time and, and clearly this character is very, very smart, so it's all fine. Mm. It's It's... It's never that simple. No. It's never that simple. Uh, and what's likely the case is Steinbeck didn't realise that what he was doing was problematic. And because of what we do know about him, if someone were to explain to him in 2020, if, if they were to get a time machine and go yeah. back and say, hey, this is, this is how things work with racism, he'd probably be really, really quite guilty and quite ashamed of himself Mm. there's a really wonderful moment really beautiful and heartbreaking moment where because the novel's slightly autobiographical yes and only occasionally he writes himself into the story as as a child uh, or as a young teenager there's a really wonderful moment where a there's a after the outbreak of World War One and America joining the war, uh, John talks about him and his sister engaging with a German immigrant who mm. had been living in the town for a very long time and was a part of their community. But because of the war, he just indulged in the xenophobic and yeah. racist uh, sentiments and... At the time, he thought it was normal, but his retrospective writing, he said he comments on his on his immense amount of guilt. And mm. guilt is something that really motivates all of the characters in this novel. And guilt is something that motivates all the characters across all of his books as well. 
That's a really good observation, and I think I'd never really thought of of that, um, even though I was going to come on to uh, um, move on to the the next topic of religion. Sure. So I guess sometimes mm. guilt goes uh, can go along with religion, can't it? It, it definitely can, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's do the the next R word, um, religion. Because um, Steinbeck was uh, Episcopalian, um, which is equivalent roughly mm. to our Church of England Anglican and I must admit this really surprised me when I discovered this fact because I'd always would have assumed that he was he would have been atheist like so many of those 20th century writers of his calibre yeah um but I wonder whether we'd be correct in saying that his his stories his books are more universal than perhaps Christian I I would agree I recognize specifically in East of Eden which is oftentimes described as this multi-generational epic retelling of the of book the, of Genesis yeah um, and so there's just there's always it, it is tied to judeo-christian uh, uh, theology um, but his writing is it's not a preaching of Christian values. It's a negotiation of Christian values. And mm. I'd really like to um, re- read an extract from oh, yes. the book. Where Please do. It's, it is a conversation between Lee, who, as we know, is Chinese-American mm. character, very, very smart, not formally educated, um, but just honestly is, is a fiend for more knowledge. Uh, Samuel, who an Irish immigrant, mm. very strongly Catholic, maybe not so much a uh, specifically religious person, but uh, his Catholicism will be a big part of his identity. Yeah. Um, they're discussing they're, they're discussing the Cain and Abel story, which is retold through the twin through yeah, the, the twins through um, Cal and Aaron. They notice how. It's a very, very short piece of writing in the Bible itself, but it's such an iconic and historical piece. And they talk about the problems with the different translations of the story. And from that, we can extrapolate a warning against fundamentalist uh, interpretations Mm. of of any religious text because of these translations. This is what uh, Steinbeck writes. And... There's uh, quotations, and this is what uh, Lee is saying. He says, The American Standard Translation orders men to triumph over sin, and you can call sin ignorance. The King James Translation makes a promise, and thou shalt, meaning that men will surely triumph over sin. But the Hebrew word, the word timshal, thou mayest, that gives a choice. It might be the most important word in the world that says the way is open, that throws it right back on a man. For if thou mayest, it is also true that thou mayest not. Don't you see? I um, I love that so much. Yeah, it's really quite something, isn't it? Just the difference of one word, of one word from Hebrew that Lee talks about trying to find the translation for himself mm. and and not to get too much into spoilers, but the very, the final moment of the book echoes that as well, where Steinbeck 
just gives human beings the autonomy and the rights to choose their own paths, giving human beings the choice to be good or the choice to be evil or to, the choice to determine exactly what that means. Mm. Now, it's fascinating, isn't it? And I have to admit that when I first read East of Eden as a, as a teenager, a lot of the biblical stuff went way over my head and um, I'd never even heard of of that word Timshell until I read mm. Steinbeck. So you you learn so much from reading, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. didn't know about that concept at all. Um, I'm sort of getting back to the, the school that you, you teach at because it's a super diverse mm, school, it isn't is. it? Um, and there may be many students whose families read from holy books that are, are actually quite different from the Bible, Um but my impression of holy books is that they would have the same general messages about right and wrong, good and evil, probably got similar stories about sibling rival, mm. rivalry and family feuds, yep. etc. Yep. I'm sort of wondering if, if you had a student who had no familiarity with the Bible, which mm. is quite possible, isn't quite it? Quite possible. Do you think they, they would... Sh- should still be able to benefit from Steinbeck's writing. I, I do think so. I do think so. Quite, quite specifically because sometimes there's just inherent value in the language and the stories uh, and the characters. His uh, exploration of these universal ideas that, of course, are very strongly touched on in religious texts, mm. but they are universal. They're, they're, that's why they're so prevalent in religious texts is they're universal. Every human feels guilt, although there are some humans who don't feel guilt, mm. and he has characters like that, like um, Kathy, the oh, mother yes. of the twins. Yeah. Um, these characters who don't feel guilt, but we interact with these people or we see these people in the media and us, most mm. humans who are feeling guilt ourselves, we are scared by someone who doesn't, who, who, who is unable to feel these feelings. Yeah, like when they look in, um, I think one of the, oh, he wasn't a doctor, but the um, person, um, I think it was Sam Hamilton, wasn't it? And yeah, was frightened yeah. by her eyes, yeah. by Kathy's eyes, because they were dead. Exactly. And I think that showed that she had no feelings of and, and he, like guilt he doesn't compassion. understand it himself, but mm. just the second he looks at her, the second he looks at this beautiful, pregnant young lady, mm. he has this flashback to a child, time as a as a child that he didn't hadn't talk about, he hadn't thought about for a very long time. But he sees this other person who's being executed who had the same eyes. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So it is all very universal, isn't it? Yeah, and it is. so, because Steinbeck was really quite a moral writer. In many ways, wasn't he? Moral and not so much in the sense like this is how you should behave and these are the right things to do, but moral in the sense that, hey, these are things that we have to choose ourselves. We have to choose what is right. We have to choose what is wrong. Um, I I, I think this might be the nice time to also say read another another passage that I I wanted to make sure that I got to and... um, I really hope that I don't get too emotional reading this part mm. because uh, the friend who recommended me read this book uh, once said this line to me in a moment where I I was feeling a bit guilty or a bit mm. sad about um, kind of just some decisions or some things that were happening. Mm. Um, and 
this this was the line where this is between um, Abra, who's the romantic interest yes. of both of the twins, and and Lee, our favourite character. Yeah. Um, where Abra says, uh, no, I guess not. Lately, I never felt good enough. I always wanted to explain to him that I was not good. And then Lee says, and now you don't have to be perfect. You can be good. Is that it? And, um, man, mm. I, I, I just love that so much. I just love that so much that once we... Because we humans just strive for perfection. We, yeah. we need it. And both of us, as we know, yeah. we're both perfectionists. But um, we... Um, need to let that go because once you let go being perfect then you can focus on being good yeah things get get easier don't they yeah Yeah, that's that's a a very moving line yeah isn't it but it's almost like the moral that steinberg wants you to read as well yes yeah so i guess all of these things could help explain the appeal of of john steinberg to young people yeah um and because we've we've talked about the concise short sentences, the landscapes, the sense of place, mm-hmm. the right and wrong, but also the overcoming difficulties, which I think um, is is often so important when young mm-hmm. people are reading, um, and you you see these characters have a terrible start yeah. in yeah. life, and then you know somehow get through it, somehow get through it, uh, and and. It's the struggle. The struggle is what makes these characters happy in a lot of senses. The There are characters who very quickly come across wealth. Um, and that, that's mm. the whole premise of The Pearl. Um, is yes, so is right. very, very quickly coming across wealth. And that's not solving problems. It's not helping anything. There are characters in East of Eden who come across wealth and don't do anything with it because yeah. it's not helping them. It's not changing things for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah interesting, isn't it? Because um, we we're talking about, I think we we're talking earlier about um, how accessible East of Eden is. But mm. even though it is, it's an incredibly long book. Incredibly long, about eight hundred pages. This um, yeah. print that I have here, it's one of those big fat books, really, isn't it? Is, it? it is. That, yeah, and um, whereas, um, and you just mentioned the pearl. That's a very short one of the short, short, short less, less than about a hundred. And yeah. of mice and men, his other very very popular enduring book is I think a bit more than a hundred. Yeah, it's um, short yeah. too, isn't it? And um I must admit in the working in the library we often get students that they come in and say, I've got to read have to read a John Steinbeck. Yep, yep. And they'll always practically always choose one of the shorter mm-hmm, books mm-hmm. as you do. You know, that's human nature. But um the the longer ones are in fact almost like an easier read aren't yeah, they if, yeah. e- if easier uh, that's probably not the right word but it's easier to get swept up into his longer books um what, what i found is that the longer ones are real gold mines for poignant moments and, and lessons um something that i found quite interesting is that east of eden is quite accessible in spite of that incredibly long and we, we have touched on that um it's and just on the other side of the coin, while valuable, and while I've so much enjoyed reading these books, um, the Pearl and Mice and Men are very short and also quite boring. Um, not so much focused on the language, where East Sweden really is focused on the language and the mood and the characters, uh, human beings and setting. 
more so than it is on plot. Um, and personally, I find that really, really wonderful. Yeah, I know. I'm so swept up in it again. Mm. Um, I haven't quite. I'm reading it for the second time, um, and I haven't quite finished mm. it. But there's always. But it's, I'm so swept yeah. into it. I, yeah. I, I sorry, just. Whenever you read a book for a second time, there's something magical that happens. I don't know what it is. You just pick up on on close reading details. You just you just pick up on the nuances. I, se- sorry, that, that's a bit yes. of a tangent, but second time reading, I love it. Amazing. Yeah, I I agree actually, and mm. you, I'm finding I'm getting so much more out of it than I did all those years ago when I when I read it for the yeah. first time. Yeah. yeah, it's a. We should recommend read things twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, now um, we were talking about oh yes because um that's right the film um because east of eden was made into a film a, a couple of times mm, mm. and i've got a feeling that there's has been talk about making a netflix version of it as well and i'd be surprised if they weren't looking at doing something yeah. like this they love to get these epic stories and turn them into se- serialized versions of um uh, visual media yeah mm. yeah so you think it would have to be a winner wouldn't it <laughs> but um the the first two films um um only used actually the filmmakers only used the last part yes. of the book yeah. and i just feel that if people watch the movie instead of reading the book they're missing out on that broader experience mm, of the, mm. the writing it's it's quite interesting uh, what i find fascinating is that the movie kind of independent of being a steinbeck adaptation is a very important moment in cinema history because it's one of the uh James Dean movies. Yes, that's it's one right. Of, it's one of the two James Dean movies. Yes. Um, where he plays Caleb Trask and um, a loose adaptation, of course. Yes. Uh, where just it's it's focused on the brothers and their competition with each other for affections from the character, from a woman and from their father as well. Yeah. So, Quite clearly, um, the, a loose adaptation, and um, Adam's character is not so much the same. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting, and because it's more of a romance in some ways, exactly. or in a saga or romantic sort of saga. Still with the biblical um, parallels. Yeah, actually, um, that's true, isn't mm, it? Mm, yes. Mm. Um, the other thing, well, I think we sort of touched on it briefly before that um, how Steinbeck wrote himself mm. into the character as a, a very minor character, member of the Hamilton family. Um, so sometimes they do describe East of Eden as being a, a, the combination of the novel and memoir. Mm. And see, the novel as memoir, it's huge mm. these days. The mm. genre is just... It's one of the biggest things that you would find in 2020, 2021. And, of course, this is 70 years after Steinbeck wrote East of Eden. Mm, mm. So he was so ahead of his time. So ahead of his time. He, um, I mean, and very simply, his motivation for writing this book was just he wanted to, he wanted to share what it was like growing up in the Salinas Valley to his, with his kids. And mm. he's so just... At moments through the story, he kind of takes a bit of a detour and he affectionately writes about his his aunties and his uncles and his mum. And one of my favourite moments is uh, when his mum, who was a school teacher, and he, mm. he absolutely adores her and says she's so very strong, um, heartbroken for one of the neighbourhood kids dying in World War mm. One, starts to 
is quite obsessed. The, ma, his mum starts to obsessively sell war bonds, and as a reward, yes. the U.S. Army takes her up in a uh, in an army biplane. Which and this is fifty years before um, even. Commercial travel is a yes. thing, let alone a common thing. Um, and it's, it's just hilarious, isn't it? Completely hilarious. And how she's so strong and staunch <laughs> and she thinks they're going to die, but she's pretending to be staunch so that the, that the pilot doesn't panic. And, and uh, so then he just does more aerobatics. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, oh. it was brilliant, wasn't it? Really, yeah, really so brilliant. Very humorous as well. And there's something very American about all these stories, and yet... Steinbeck was criticised for being un-American. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. why there was that moves to ban his books. Yeah. At times too. So, um, and largely because of his perceived sympathy for um, workers' rights. Workers' rights, his um, sympathy for, oh, one thing that in the early moments where he talks about Adam being in the US Army and in the campaigns against the Native Americans, mm. terrible, oh, terrible. Yes. And covered up, and they, they try to pretend like, oh, the eighteen hundreds for the Ameri- for the U.S. Army was the Union and the Civil War. Yeah. Um, but then there's, there's atrocities that they do, yes. absolute atrocities. Yeah, um, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Gee, look, we could keep talking for for hours we about could, this. We could, really could. Yes, this has been so wonderful to to have you on board with us today, Dan. Now, because John Steinbeck wrote about. 30 books in his <laughs> lifetime and we've got them all in the libraries in hard copy and an overdrive as e-books. Yep, yep. So huge thanks to you Dan. It's been wonderful having you here. It's been so wonderful. Thank us. you for having me. This has been I've really enjoyed myself so thanks for tuning in. Haere rā, kakite anō. was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.